2 Timothy chapter 1. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? All right, it's 601. I got farther to drive than anybody in here, all right? So bear with me for just a moment. Look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. Now I'm going to leave off reading right there in the middle of verse number 8, but please leave your Bibles open and let's talk together tonight about three things that we're going to need to be a success in the coming new year. Let's pray. Father, bless your word. Thank you for the reading of the word. Now I pray that you'd bless the receiving of the word of God tonight. Uh, the Bible tells us that it's like seed and as the preacher stands tonight and sows the seed of the Word of God, I sure pray that it might fall on good, good soil in our heart and spring up and produce fruit in the lives of your people. And then if there is one sitting among us tonight that's not saved, I pray that you'd help them to be saved. Bless your Word. Help me to recall to remembrance things I ought to say in this service and right now just take away anything out of my mind that doesn't need to be said and I pray tonight that you'd open the hearts of your people to receive your word in Jesus name Amen these are the final words of the Apostle Paul we know at the end of this book that Paul somewhere around the age of 62 63 years old is going to give his life for the cause of Christ. As he writes these words, he's sitting in prison awaiting certain execution. But as he does so, he begins to reflect back about the, 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 the relationship that he has with a young man by the name of Timothy. Now, of course, we know that Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, was a man who was out and out, out and outright against the Lord Jesus in his pre-Calvary life. You know, there are two Saul's that are mentioned in our Bible, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. Both of those Saul's were from the tribe of Benjamin. And Benjamin in the Old Testament was known as the wolf tribe. And both those Saul's had characteristics similar to that of a wolf. They were on the trail of God's people. They harounded and they harassed and they tried to hinder and hurt the people of God, the Saul of the Old Testament. He was after God's anointed, a king, a little man, a little boy by the name of David. And oh, how that Saul of the Old Testament harassed and tried to hurt God's anointed uh, in the person of King David. But when we come across into the New Testament, we find that the New Testament Saul was not much better because in his pre-Calvary, on the uh, before he got saved, before he met the Lord, pre-Damascus life, buddy, I'll tell you something, he was out and out against the Lord Jesus and against God's people. Why, the day that he got saved, 
he was on the Damascus Road, heading back up there with official letters, documentation, giving him permission to once again harass and hound and incarcerate and even kill the people of God. But something happened, that old boy on the road to Damascus that day. He met the Lord Jesus and had a life-changing experience. You know, anytime you meet Jesus, it's going to change your life. Not for the worse, but for the better. And can I say that old Paul, old Saul would never be the same after that Damascus confrontation with the risen Christ. He would be out and out. Just as he was out and out against the Lord, after he got saved, he was out and out for the Lord. But I'll tell you, he went everywhere preaching the gospel, trying to get people saved. Can I say this? I think he was already under conviction before he ever met the Lord on the Damascus Road. God had been dealing with that old boy's heart ever since the day that Stephen was stoned, and uh, he was standing there holding the cloaks of those who stoned that old Baptist deacon to death, brother, and when he looked up, I'm talking about Stephen, he had that look of glory on his face when he looked up and saw Jesus standing to the right hand of the Father and he said these words. He said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And then he died. Oh, I want to tell you that look, I believe, haunted and, and hindered uh, the, the dreams of old Saul of Tarsus. He could see that look of glory and that look of glow on that old deacon's face. And it did something to old Saul until the day that he was saved and met the Lord on the Damascus Road. Well, Paul went everywhere preaching the Word of God. He wrote, if you count the book of Hebrews 14, of our New Testament books. He started continents, uh, churches on three different, co three different continents. And of course, God used him mightily to win Gentiles and Jews alike to the Lord Jesus Christ. On one of those occasions, as he went to a, uh, the area of Galatia, which consisted of Derby and Lystra and Iconium, the Bible said that he was preaching there and uh, there was a young man, as Paul gave the invitation that morning, a young man by the name of Timothy who walked down the aisle that morning and gave his hand to the apostle and gave his heart to Jesus and was gloriously saved by the grace of God. Can I stop once again and just remind us all, let's don't ever take for granted the conversion of young children in the ministry of our church. Thank God for every child that rides the buses over here and gives their heart to Jesus. Thank God for every child that crawls in that baptistry and gets baptized and identifies with the Lord Jesus. Let's don't ever get over a child's conversion. In fact, can I tell you this? We ought to rejoice over a young child getting saved as much as we rejoice over a 95-year-old man getting saved. Because the, the reason being, if a child gives his life to Jesus, not just his heart to Jesus. I'll tell you, an entire life has been saved. You take a 95-year-old man, and by the way, what a miracle it is for him to get saved. But can I just stop and say, he don't have a whole lot of life left to give to the Lord, but one of these children, if they'll get serious about living for God, there's an entire life that has been saved as well. Well, that was what happened to Paul and Timotheus. Old Timothy got saved. Later on, when Paul was on a second missionary journey into that same area, the church was a buzz about this young disciple by the name of Timothy. And Paul took Timothy under his wing, and I guess you could say he made Timothy his assistant, his protege in the ministry. And to say that those two were close would be a great understatement. I'm telling you, those two Timothy and Paul were two peas in a pod. They had a special, special relationship. If you don't believe that, all you got to do is read there in verse number 2 where Paul told Timothy 
he called him my dearly beloved son. Now, of course, he isn't referring to a biological son, not at all, but he's referring to a spiritual son in the family. Can I stop and ask you tonight, do you have any spiritual children? Have you got any people in your life that can walk up to you and say, you're my spiritual earthly father? Of course, God is your heavenly father, and I get all that. But you know, every one of us ought to be able to say, you know, I'm, I'm responsible for winning him to the Lord or her to the Lord. I guess you could say I'm their spiritual father. I brought them in. I, I witnessed to them, told them about the Lord, and they got saved, born into God's family, and they're my by biological, spiritual children. Do you have any spiritual children that you can point to tonight as being you the one who's responsible for bringing them into God's family? And then look again at verse number 2. He said this, grace, mercy, and peace. Can I stop and point this out? You know, normally when Paul begins his letter, he always included grace and peace. But when he writes to preachers, he throws in an extra word, and that is the word mercy. Can I tell you something that every preacher needs? He needs some mercy, don't he? Can I have an amen? I tell you, I need grace, and I thank God for peace. But bless your heart, pray for mercy for me. I need mercy from the law enforcement. I need mercy from, uh, from uh, people in general. I just need the mercy of God upon my life. And when he writes to preachers, he did to Titus and he did to Timothy, these pastoral epistles, when he writes to these preachers, he throws in the word mercy. Pray for mercy for your preacher. And then if you want to see what kind of special relationship, look what Paul said in verse 3. He said, I thank God whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience. Number one, he said, without ceasing. I, rem I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Paul said, Timothy, every time I pray, I pray for you. Can I stop and say one of the greatest things you can ever do for your preacher is to pray for him. Now, I appreciate, we have ladies in our church from time to time that'll make me a lemon pound cake or a banana pudding or a sweet potato casserole. Oh, thank you. God bless you and you and you and you and you. Or a chocolate fudge cake. Oh, brother. Or uh, whatever. Boy, I appreciate the time and the effort that goes into that. But can I tell you, the older that I get, the one thing I realize I need is the prayers of God's people. Now, look at me. Keep the cakes, the puddings, and the pies coming. But don't forget to pray. Paul said, I've got remembrance of you in my prayers night and day. I hope you pray every day, and I hope you pray every night. And I hope a part of your regular praying is that you pray for your preacher. Because I tell you, he needs your prayers. And I like this. Paul said this in verse number 4. He said, Timothy, I greatly desire to see you. And then notice what he said about it in verse 4. And every time I see you, I am filled with joy. Can I stop and ask you that when people see you, what are they filled with? Indigestion? When people see you, <laughs> when they think of you, what are they filled with? When people see you coming down the aisle, do they want to cut across and shoot up another aisle? You know, there's some people that when you see them coming, you almost want to head the other way. You know, because it's always bad news. Nothing's ever good. I mean, it's like that preacher I heard one time said, Brother so-and-so, would you stand up and lead us in a word of criticism? There are always those who want to criticize. Nothing's ever good. I mean, if the Lord was going to be here tonight and show slides on heaven, they'd be upset about something about it. 
I mean, man, they're always full of negativity and cynicism and they're sour and, and they're critical of everything. I want to run from people like that. But I like it when Paul said here, Timothy, every time I see you, I am filled with joy. Well, I want to, and I'm working on it. Y'all pray for me. I'm working in progress. But I want, when I, you see me coming, I want you to say, here comes the preacher, bless his heart. He always makes me feel good when I get around him. Wouldn't you like that to be said about you? I mean, when you die, wouldn't you like the preacher to say, man, I'll tell you, that guy laying there, that precious lady laying there, just filled my heart with joy and not have his fingers crossed when he said it? I'd like, to, I'd like when somebody preaches my funeral to say, you know something, he had a great spirit about him. I mean, he wasn't critical or negative or cynical or sour the older he got and just became frustrated with life. I'll tell you, that old boy right there laying in front of us just filled my heart with joy when I saw him. You know, there's a verse over in the book of Psalms 84, and I quote it this morning, verse 11, and it said, No good thing will the Lord withhold from them that walk uprightly. But the start of that verse says this, God will give grace and glory. Grace and glory. What do people say when they see you coming? You know, when they, some people, you know, when you see them coming, you want to say, Grace! Because you sure do need some grace just to stand there and listen to them. Can I have an amen? I mean, but it's never anything good. It's always negative. It's always bad. I mean, it's always just moan and groan and, man, this hurts and that hurts and this has happened and that's happened. And, and I'm telling you, it's just always, and you want, when you see them coming, you just want to say, grace. And then there's some people when you see them come, you just want to say, glory. You know why? Because they fill your heart with joy. I want to ask you again, what are people's hearts filled with when they see you coming? Maybe it'd be good for us to make a resolution this year as we head off into this brand new year. I want to have a little bit more joy than I normally have. I want to bring a little bit more joy than I've normally brought during this, uh, my lifetime. I want, to, I want to have a good word for people. I want to be an encouragement. I, I want to be an uplifter. I want to be an edifier. I just want to comfort people's hearts. I don't want to be all gloom and doom and, and no joy and it's all bad and it's all miserable and it's nothing good about living for God. I want to fill people's heart with joy. Do I need to give an invitation right now? Should we just stop the message? And should we give an invitation? Paul said, you fill my heart with joy. But then we come to verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, and verse 7. And when I look at these, these verses tonight, I want to show you from the Word of God three things that we're going to need if this is going to be the best year we've ever had here at Woodland. Now, can I stop and say this? I don't think God's done with us yet. Do you? Nobody has to tell me that. But I still want to have a little fire about me. I, I'm still not satisfied. I, I still got a desire. I still have a burden. I still, I still want to see the church move forward. I, I still, forgive me, but I still want to build that building over there. And I still want to run buses. And I still want to see people get baptized and get saved. And, and uh, of course, get, baptized, get saved first and then get baptized. I want to see our church grow. I still got a burden, friend. I'm, I may be 60 years old, but I, I'm still excited. I'm excited about this year. I, I'm excited about preaching. I'm excited about seeing people get saved and about church growth. I haven't lost that yet. Not yet. I think we can have a good year this year. Don't you? 
I think we could have the best year that we've ever had here at Woodland Baptist Church. I believe that. But if we're going to do it, we've got to have three things. First of all, look at verse 4. If we're going to do it, we're going to need, number one, some tenderness. Look at verse 4. Paul said, I greatly desire to see you, Timothy. My heart is filled with joy every time I get around you. But did you notice right in the middle part of that verse, Paul said, Timothy, I am mindful of thy tears. You know, if there's one thing that we're going to need as God's people, if we're going to be a success this year, we're going to need some tenderness again. It seems like in our day that we've lost, we've lost the ability to weep. Maybe we don't see what we used to see because we don't weep like we used to weep. Somebody else said this one time, said the, the church of the last days is full of technology, but it's empty of tears. When's the last time you saw people get on the altar and just cry tears, weeping tears over lost souls? When's the last time that you or I personally made a trip to the altar and we just laid on the altar and just wept over? So I remember when that used to be pretty common, don't you? I can remember when we used to come to church and if nobody got saved, we went home, spent the afternoon in prayer and weeping over souls. But now when nobody gets saved, go home, take a nap. Nap time. And we're not seeing what we used to see because we're not weeping like we used to weep. You know, maybe we need for, for God to loosen up the tear ducts again. Maybe we need for God to once again give us our tears. Maybe that's what we ought to do at the start of the new year. Say, oh God, give me back the tears that I used to have over souls. That promise is still true in Psalms 126 where the Bible said, they that sow in tears, help me with it now, shall reap in joy. I'm telling you, a little bit of tears will go a long way. I like what Spurgeon called tears. He called tears liquid prayers. And there's just something about it. When we mingle our prayers with tears, I'm telling you, something about that touches the heart of God. I don't know what it is, but when God sees His people and the tears begin to run down our cheeks and we begin to weep over souls, there's something about that. When we mingle our prayers with tears, it's something about that that moves the heart of God and let me say this when God's heart gets moved God's hand gets moved I don't know what it is about tears but there's something about tears that just touch the heart of God you remember that Old Testament illustration or that instant in the life of old King Hezekiah what a good king he was he started reigning when he was 25 years old and he reigned for 14 years. And some people, and it's, I guess, a little bit uh, arguable, but some people say he was the greatest king in the Old Testament outside of maybe King David. Boy, he had revival, run the Sodomites out of town. And he run the Sodomites out of town. And then when he got through, he run some more Sodomites out of town. He got rid of the Sodomites. Revival broke out in the land. He reinstituted the Passover. I'm telling you, revival broke out. And then 14 years later, at the tender age of 39 years old, God sent a Baptist prophet by the name of Isaiah into that throne room to stick his finger in the face of that king and said, set your house in order. You're going to die and not live. Now, I got a question. Who wants to die at 39? I don't even want to die at 60. 
39 years old and God sent him a message, you are going to die. He evidently had a big old cancerous tumor that come up on him and, and he was sick, sick unto death. The preacher went in there and said, God sent me over here, set your house in order. You're going to die. And Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall. And the Bible said he began to pray. You check it out. He began to pray and remind God about how faithfully he tried to serve him. I wonder tonight if the preacher come to your house, rang your doorbell and said, God sent me over here to tell you you're going to die tonight. It's over. Could you turn your face toward the wall and remind God about how faithful you've been? Could you remind God of how faithfully you've tried to serve him? And the Bible said that as he prayed, oh, Hezekiah began to weep. And I mean, he started crying and no doubt had the snubs praying and mingling that prayer with tears. And there goes that old prophet down the steps of the palace and God said, hold it, preacher. Go back in there and tell that king that I've heard his prayer. And you tell him I've seen his tears. And I'm going to add 15 more years to die uh, to his life. And he did live to the age of 54 years old. It was the tears that moved the heart that moved the hand of God. When's the last time you wept over a soul? That wayward boy and wayward girl, instead of just saying, oh, just let them go, instead of just uh, that old uh, in-law or out, uh, nephew, or not nephew, but uh, uh, kin person of yours that you have tried to talk to and they're so rude to you, instead of just saying, well, just go on and die and go to hell if you want to. When's the last time you wept over their soul? I'll tell you what, if we're going to be successful this year, we're going to need some tenderness. How long has it been since you wept over a soul? Number one, we're going to need some tenderness. Notice number two, verse number five, we're going to need some trueness. Look at verse five. Paul said, when I call to remembrance, and then notice this word that he used to describe Timothy's faith, the unfeigned faith that is in thee. And he said, by the way, your grandma Lois had it, and your mama Eunice had it. But Paul said, I think you've got it too. You've got unfeigned faith. Now what does that mean, unfeigned? Well, it's from the same word in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 10, verse 11. It's from the same word, sincere in those, those verses there. Paul said that you may be sincere and without offense. And that word sincere in the book of Philippians means to be without wax. It just simply means to be without wax. You see, what I understand back in those days, everything was done in pottery. You cooked in pottery, you brought water in pottery. But sometimes pottery would get cracked. And when they would sell pottery that had got a crack in it, they would put wax in there. But they would have to, to be honest, they would have to say when someone purchased that piece of pottery that it was filled with wax. But if you bought a piece of pottery and there was no cracks in it whatsoever, it was said to be a sincere piece of pottery. It was without wax. There were no cracks and it had no wax. And it's the same word in our text in verse number 5, the word unfeigned. And it simply means to be without hypocrisy. It simply means to be pure. It simply means to be sincere. It simply means to be the same thing you are in the world that you are at the church. Can I have an amen? And let me just say, if we're going to have a good year this year, we're not only going to need some tenderness, 
we're going to need some trueness. I mean, one of the things that's hurting the church of the last days is this stuff of being one thing at church and another thing out in the world. Look at me, and I know I say this a lot, but I think I need to say it again. It's paying your tenth at church and buying your fifth at Walmart. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's being one thing over here and going home and cussing your wife or cussing your neighbors or drinking your beer and your liquor and smoking your drugs and looking at your pornography and then come over here and put on a show and act like everything's all right over here at the church, like you're the greatest thing, you're about to sprout wings because you're so holy. Look at me, my hind leg on all that. That's killing us in these last days. This one thing in the world, another thing at church. I tell you, we need some trueness in these days. We need some people that will go home and live the same way at home that they live over here at church. That will be the same way on their job that they are here at church. That will be the same way in the neighborhood or the school. I said the school, and while I'm on the subject, let me say the school. That will be the same way at school that they are over here at the church that won't tell the same old dirty jokes, that want to be a part of the same old dirty crowd and go to the same old dirty places and, and live the same old dirty kind of life and then have the audacity to run over here and act like you're a saint. Look at me. No saint you ain't. No, sir. We need some trueness. We need some people that are, have, are, have an unfeigned faith that are real. I don't know about much, but I want to be real. I, I, want, I don't want to stand up here and preach one thing knowing my kids are sitting back there knowing how I live at home. And I live a different way at home. I don't want to be like that, friend. I want to be the same. I, I want to come over here and we sang that song, Oh, How I Love Jesus, either this morning or tonight. One, one of the services we sang that. But I don't want to stand up here and sing that and the Holy Spirit on the inside of me saying, You're a hypocrite for singing that. You don't love the Lord. You love the world. You love your sin. You love the old flesh. You live to gratify your flesh and desire. Hey, we ought to be true in these days. I challenge you, I double, triple, quadruple, cinco de mayo, whatever the next word is after that. I dare you to be true this year. Amen. What is it old Gandhi said? The reason so many are going to hell is because so many are going to heaven. We don't live lives that are any different at the judgment of the great white throne. No wonder God has to jerk out his heavenly hanky and wipe the tears from our eyes because we're so full of hypocrisy in these days. Amen. I'm just saying tonight, we need some tenderness. Let's weep again. We need some trueness in these days. Let's be real. I, I encourage every daddy in this room, be real. Don't let your children die and go to hell because you are one way over here and another way at home. Don't come over here and stand up and act like you love the Lord and go home and cuss your wife and kick the dog and the cat and, and uh, throw a fit. and Hey, hey, let's be real in these days. Trueness, unfeigned faith. I challenge you. I dare you to be real. Amen. We need trueness. And then last of all, look at verse number, verse number 7. We need toughness. Some toughness. Look at verse 7. For God hath not given us 
the spirit of fear. We need to be tough, man. Be not thou, verse number 8, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his propulsive man. We don't need... Hey, let's, let's stand up for what's right. I know, I get it, we live in a world that is becoming increasingly antagonistic toward the gospel. We are no longer viewed as the solution to our society. We are viewed by the world as being a part of the problem of our society. Can I have an amen? I mean, folks, just like, by the way, while this is on my mind because we're getting ready to get political here, Brother Mark said that, that we still got to change time in March because the Senate approved it, but the Congress didn't. Let's see. The Senate, yep, the Senate approved it and the Congress didn't. So that's still up for debate right now. So there I straightened that whole matter out. Now back to tithing. We need some tithers if we're going to be faithful. If we're going to, anyway, we need, some, we need some toughness. God hadn't given us a spirit of fear. Where does that fear come from? Well, if God didn't give it to us, evidently the devil did. He loves to make it. First time the word fear or some form of it appears in the Bible is right after Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden when the devil got through with them. Adam, where art thou? God wasn't asking for information. He was asking for confrontation. Where art thou? Ah, uh, Lord, we were afraid. Where'd that come from? Sin and Satan. Hey, can I tell you something? If you love the Lord, I've read it to you this morning. What is that? So that we may boldly say, the Lord is our helper, and we will not fear what men shall do unto us. Hebrews 12, 6. I am with thee. I will not leave thee. What's that? How does that go for I will never leave thee nor forsake thee? So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. We don't have to be afraid. You say, preacher, you don't understand that crowd. You don't have to be afraid of that crowd. God's in control. God has got this. Boy, we need some toughness. Isn't it amazing? And I'm not being mean, but is it not amazing that some people have not come back to church after the COVID was over? Is it not amazing? And I'm not getting after anybody. Don't be mad at me. And I love everybody. I love y'all on the internet. And all. I'm going to come here and group hug. I love y'all. God, I tell you something. I'm appalled that you're still out of church over COVID. But you don't miss a, a blessed God trip to Walmart every week. You don't miss going out to eat. And you don't miss going to work every day. But don't you come over here to church. You can get COVID over here. Where'd that life start at? Hey, we need some toughness, man. We need some Look at verse number, verse number 6. We need some toughness because of the coldness of our day. Look at verse 6. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God. And that phrase, stir up, simply means poke and stir the embers. In other words, it's getting cold. We need a little fire in these last days. We need to stir it up, friend. You say, preacher, we need to put it out. My high leg, let's stir it up. We need some boldness for because of the coldness of our day. We need some courage because of the coldness of our day. Don't be upset. I'm glad we got a little life here in our church. Now, I know I'm like you. We, we attract all kinds here. And I get it. You can't have a bus ministry. And sometimes we do. We attract people that come in. And maybe they aren't maybe on the same page that we're on or whatever. I get all that. But I'll tell you what, you go off on a summer night, leave your porch light on, every bug in the county will be sitting on the door when you get back. That light, that heat attracts some bugs, don't it? 
We may get some bugs in here every once in a while, but I still thank God we got a little heat in here every once in a while. And I ain't looking to put it out. I'm looking to stir it up, friend. We got gas logs now because I've got old and wrinkled and decrepit. But I used to love when we have a wood fire. Man, I'd get that thing going real good. And I mean, no matter how, look at me, no matter how good that fire was, it still needed a little poking every once in a while. I'd get that big long black thing and I'd poke on it a little bit. I'd stir them ashes up under there. Man, that fire blazed back up and that heat would roar out of that place again. Every fire, no matter how good, needs a little poking. Boy, I pray God will poke on us a little bit this year. We need some boldness. We need some, we need, we need some courage because of the boldness, uh, the coldness. Look at verse 8. We need, some, we need some courage because of the boldness. Paul said, don't be ashamed. Can I tell you something? If you believe the Bible, you don't have to be ashamed. I know this society frowns upon it. And just because I believe one of these days everybody that's saved is just going to somehow gravity is just going to lose its hold on us and we're just going to fly up out of the world and say, you are crazy. No, I believe the Bible. And, and I'll tell you something, even a little bit more uh, out there than that. One of these days, we're going to go out to the stables and get on some horses and ride back from heaven down from heaven to the earth. Preacher, you got to be kidding. You believe that? I believe the Bible. I'm not ashamed of what I believe. I still believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I still believe in a whosoever will salvation. I still believe in salvation by grace through faith. I still believe a man ought to live right once he gets saved. Hey, I'm not ashamed of that. Amen. And when I go out here in the world and somebody questions me about it, I'm not ashamed of it. Don't ask me if you don't want to know. That's the way I say, you ask. I remember one time, man, when I used to work at the grocery store, that crowd was wicked. They give me Some of the most wicked people in the world are meat cutters. I think that, that cold weather freezes their brain back there, but they're wicked. And they started on me about a man having long hair. And man, I just started quoting verses and, and just letting them have it back. And they said, oh, you're crazy. And I said, you ask. If you don't want to know, don't ask. <laughs> I don't want to be ashamed. So say it with me. Number one, we need some tenderness. Number two, we need some shrewdness. Number three, we need some old-fashioned toughness we need to have a heart that is the heart of a dove and we need to have a hide that's the hide of a rhinoceros amen and just just hang on till Jesus comes let's bow our heads